Esther chapter 4, as we pick back up in our series. We're at the end of the chapter now. As a reminder, the decree has been issued in chapter 3 by Haman that all the Jews would be eradicated in 11 months. And all the Jews throughout the empire are understandably in great mourning, clothed in sackcloth and ashes. Remember Mordecai rent his clothes, he puts on sackcloth with ashes, and he goes into the middle of the city and he cries with a loud, bitter cry. And then he comes before the king's gate, but we talked about how he could go no further. When Esther finds out that Mordecai is grieving, she grieves. She sends a change of clothes out to him in in hopes that he will clean himself up, that they can meet together to discuss what's going on. He refuses to put off his sackcloth given the seriousness of the situation they are under. And so Esther sent out Hatok to go and see what's going on And he acts as a mediator between her and Mordecai. She then learns of the decree. Mordecai charges her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him and to make requests before him for her people. And then Esther reminds Mordecai, everybody knows that if you go before the king unbidden and he doesn't want to speak with you, he can kill you. And so she lets him know also, I haven't been in his presence for 30 days. And so she feels she has fallen out of favor with the king. Mordecai, I told her, think not with thyself that thou shalt escape the king's house more than all the Jews. And in a book where God is never mentioned, we get very close to it in verse 14. Mordecai, I said, for if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, Then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But then he adds, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. So if she doesn't do something, he believes she's going to die anyway. And since he's of her house in in a physical relation, uh, being her uncle, his life would also end, he believes. And We considered the most famous phrase in this book when Mordecai says to Esther, And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? The time had come for them to recognize God's providence in all that has taken place in this book so far. She has not been elevated to the position of queen by chance. We don't always understand all that we're going through in the moment. But over time, if we'll stay with God, we come to understand what God was doing back there in that moment. And it starts to make sense. We left off last time with Esther being brought to a decision point about coming clean with who she is, what she believes, and to whom she belongs. She had her private life and her identity as a Jew. She has her public life as the queen. And now the time has come to decide, what is she going to be? And that's a challenge for those who may still be on the fence. 
that you have two different identities. You have one here, and then you have one outside of here, where they don't know that you've been in here. <laughs> We're all tired tonight, I can tell. <laughs> Amen. That's okay. So what's your identity going to be? Because I promise you, if it hasn't already, the day is coming when you will be forced to make a decision where you will stand. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Now we've covered a lot of thoughts and a lot of applications, so please go back and listen if you've missed anything. But this brings us to where we left off. And let's read from chapter 4, verses 15 through 17. Then Esther bade them return Mordecai, Mordecai this answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish... I perish. So Esther sends word to Mordecai that she's planning to go before the king unbidden. And I've, I see here how encouragement can be such a help in a person's life. I've said it often when it comes to raising children, but I believe that our encouragement goes way further than just our discipline. And Mordecai here, he has encouraged her. And he says to her, Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And without mentioning God, don't you get the sense that he's saying something like this, God is going to bring enlargement and deliverance from somewhere, but Esther, can't you see that God has raised you up to a position of prominence and power for such a time as this. For this very hour, we, you've come to this moment in your life. And, and I hope you understand tonight that God wants to use your life. And those of us who understand this truth, we need to go to others and encourage them in their station in life. And let them know it's not an accident you're where you're at. God has a plan and God has a purpose for your life. We are not where we are in life by accident. You're not here tonight by accident. Esther didn't make her face or her form beautiful. God did. And she was one of the most beautiful women in all of the empire that stretched from India to Ethiopia. But God had a purpose for creating her outward beauty. And I know we good Baptists don't like hearing that God can use something as superficial as outward beauty. But He can, and He does. Read the book of Esther. Okay, all the ugly people are mad at me now. I'm only teasing. Essentially, what Mordecai is summarizing by saying, who knoweth 
whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this, is that God created you this way, gave you this position for a purpose. Don't forget that, Esther. You've been born beautiful. You've lived in Persia. Because of this, you've been selected as queen over this immense empire. And I need you to understand that none of this has been by accident. Now, what are you going to do with the gift and the position God has given you? Now, don't misunderstand me. We know David wrote in Psalm 39.5 that man in his best state is altogether vanity. All that we are in God's sight is emptiness. But God knows how man thinks, how he operates, and he created Esther and her beauty to be used for his purpose and glory. And I'm saying all this tonight because I want you to know you have not been born by accident. And whatever you've been blessed with, God wants to use it. God doesn't need it, but He desires to use you. If you decide not to be used by God, then God will turn to someone else to accomplish His purpose. And He'll pour out His blessings upon them. And you'll have to square that with God one day. But there's a point when the Lord is going to pass by your way and He will say, follow me. And you'll have to decide if you'll give all that you are to His service. God has placed into each one of us something of value to be used by God. Maybe it isn't great looks. Maybe it's physical strength. Maybe it's a brilliant mind. Maybe you're gifted in some trade, some skill. Maybe you're a good communicator. Maybe you're good in something to do with home economics or administration or whatever else you want to try to put into a list. But understand, you've been gifted by God for a very definite purpose. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 12, 18, But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it pleaseth him. And he wrote in 1 Corinthians 14, 12, For as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. You're not in this life by accident. You're not in this body of believers by accident. God has something He has gifted you to do. And if you don't know what that is yet, then just work at being available. Maybe you've heard the saying, the greatest ability is availability. I remember my dad saying that to me when I was a young man. And I am so blessed he taught me that principle. Perhaps you've heard God doesn't call the qualified, but He qualifies the called. I have found both of these sentiments to be true in my life. I don't consider myself to have any great talent. And I don't have any great qualifications. But years ago, I said, here am I, Lord. Use me. Amen. And you know what God began to do? He began to use my life. And it started with just being available. That led to me being faithful to church services, which led to me being faithful reading my Bible, 
which led me to be faithful in prayer, which led me to be faithful in witnessing, which led me to be faithful in giving. Five to thrive. I think all of that happened in Korea. All of that led to God giving me more responsibility to begin to teach and to preach, which led to even more opportunities to preach and teach, which one day led me here. And, and now I want every one of you to be able to experience the wonderful feeling of knowing you are accomplishing what God wants you to do in this life that He's blessed you with. There's no greater feeling than knowing this is why I've been born into this world. Doing that for God. And, and don't think you have to be a pastor or something like that. You'll know it when it happens. And, and in a sense, it all starts when you begin to realize you're at this point in your life for such a time as this. Because you won't go past that point until you start doing what you know to do now. Today. You can't say, after I finish my career, then I'll let God use my life. Lord, just let me raise my children, and then I'll, I'll be available. After I finish my school, I'll get busy. Once I have more time, I'll give it to the Lord. It begins now, by realizing you are here for such a time as this. You're in your job for such a time as this. You are their missionary. It begins when you realize you're in, your, you're in this church for such a time as this. You are here to serve. And, and what God will begin to do with your life as you become faithful in, in the, the little things like five to thrive and, and faithful to be a light, to be light and salt where you're at, God will begin to give you more responsibility. And I'm just trying to communicate to you, there's significance in your life today. It's not waiting for you out there. There may be something God has for you out there, but you've got to get busy now. Tomorrow may never arrive. So don't wait till later. Life's too short anyhow, Amen. So get busy now. Because before you know it, your body's going to start breaking down. And we also need to consider how God is using today to prepare us for tomorrow, should it come. God is always looking to raise up people. God uses people for such a time as this. But I want you to understand that God didn't just raise those people up in a moment, uh, in, a, in a short time, there was a preparation process. It didn't just happen overnight. There was a process that these people went through that God uses. We even read of Jesus that He increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. God even took our Lord through a process before His public manifestation before Israel. Saul of Tarsus didn't immediately become the Apostle Paul. Did you know that? It wasn't immediately after he was converted. There was a process that he had to go through. Saul had been taught at the feet of Gamaliel, who was one of the greatest rabbis at that time, and yet there was more that he had to learn. 
and often overlooked in Saul's transformation from Saul of Tarsus to the Apostle Paul is found, the only place it's mentioned is in Galatians 1.17 where we learn that Saul had to go into Arabia first. And he remained Saul for years after his conversion. In fact, when you get to Acts 13.1 and the church in Antioch is getting ready to send their missionaries out, Paul and Barnabas, he's called Saul in Acts 13. And so it, it took time. There was a process that he had to go through, and that's my point. So you can't expect to be used by God if you neglect the process. Amen. Because this is a common problem. Some people in their zeal, they seek for a position that God either hasn't prepared them for, or He is still in the process of preparing them for. And they seek for a position even though they're not faithful in the fundamentals. Don't expect to be used by God in a leadership position until you learn to walk with God. For example, preacher, I feel like God wants to use me in this role one day. Great. Are you giving financially? Well, no, it's, it's hit or miss. If God doesn't have your bank account, He doesn't have your heart. You say, where does the Bible say that? Matthew 6.21 and Luke 12.34. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So you have to get the fundamentals down. Well, let's get back to Esther, amen. When you are encouraged to see that you are where you are for such a time as this, it gives you boldness and confidence to step up and say something to that person you rub shoulders with every day. When you believe that God has placed you where you are, it helps you to overcome any fear that you may have in being a witness to those that God's telling you to witness to. And I've talked about the process that Esther went to in a previous lesson. I'm not going to rehash all that. But now she has to do what many have to learn. And she has to overcome her fears. Some have admitted to me, that they've been reluctant to answer God's call upon their life because they're afraid God may call them to some place out there in the middle of Africa. Some, or you know, just somewhere they don't want to go. And if that's your fear, then don't worry about it. God isn't calling you yet because He still doesn't have your heart. But once God has all of you, then you won't care where God sends you and what He does with your life. So you got to be faithful to the process. You know, some are afraid simply because they might be ridiculed. That's probably the biggest problem we're facing in America right now for the average Christian. Some are afraid because they may be ostracized by their family. Some are afraid because they feel God can't use them. But we don't need to fear anything. So here's Esther. She's expressed her fear that she feels that she's fallen out of favor with her husband, the king, and how she may lose her life in the process of going before him unbidden. But Mordecai encourages her, and now she finds the strength to overcome her fear. Ephesians 6.10 Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Matthew 10, 28, And fear not them which kill the body, 
but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear Him, which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We find Jesus saying, Fear not, believe only. Fear not, therefore, ye are more valuable than many sparrows. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus said to John in the Revelation, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Jesus told His disciples, Fear not. An angel of the Lord told Mary, Fear not, for thou hast found favor with God. An angel of the Lord told Joseph, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And an angel said to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. An angel of the Lord told Paul, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. God told Abraham, or Abram, Fear not, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. The angel of God told Hagar, Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. God told Israel, Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. The Lord said to Gideon, Peace unto thee, fear not. God told Daniel, O man greatly beloved of God, fear not. Elisha said to his servant, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. David said to his son Solomon, Be strong and of a good courage and do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Yahaziel told Judah, Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. Isaiah 35.4 Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Isaiah 41.13 For I the Lord thy God will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Isaiah 43.1 But now, thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. God told Jeremiah, Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Do you have any fear? You're not alone. If Jesus had to tell us fear not, then He knows we have fear. God had to tell Mary and Joseph not to fear. Abram, Joshua, Gideon, Jeremiah, Daniel, and Paul all had to be told by God not to fear. And I'm just letting you know, it's okay if we have to uh, look at ourselves and say, i got to work on this fear issue. We need to overcome fear. And that's why we're encouraged time and time again, fear not. God knows our frame. He knows we're but dust. But I want you to understand the reason we are told not to fear is because our fear, our fear of man, is not of God. And if it's not from God, then where is it from? 
2 Timothy 1, 7 through 8, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. In those moments in your life when the fear of man is trumping our fear of God, we need to recognize that fear is coming from our enemy. And we need to get right with God. And then we need to be strong in the Lord. We need to stand up straight. We need to roll our shoulders back. We need to march boldly into battle knowing that we are a child of the King and that we are here for such a time as this. 1 John 4, 4 says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. And so we should always recognize that God who dwells in us by the Holy Ghost is greater than the spirit of fear from the enemy. We are to overcome that spirit of fear. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And it is our love for God which enables us to move in the direction of our fears. 1 John 4.18 tells us there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Now, the context of that verse is really talking about the judgment day to come. We don't have to fear that day because we are loved by God. Amen. Those who are in Christ. But certainly there's an application to be made from that verse that the knowledge of God's love is what casts out fear. It is the love of God which should constrain us. Why do you do what you do for God? Because I love Him. Romans 8.37, In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. I kind of wrestle with this today, but I don't know that there will come a point in this life in our flesh when we will no longer have any fear of man at all. But I do believe we ought to arrive to the place where fear will no longer dominate or paralyze us. Look at what Esther says at the end of verse 16. And if I perish, I perish. Now, I doubt that she had a complete absence of fear. But fear is no longer controlling her. And I marvel at this woman's courage. And let's not forget how young she is. We're, we're never told her age, but she was taken as a virgin. And in those days, many married young. I mean, our church is doing that like crazy, amen. Okay. She was maybe chosen around the age of 17. And if that's true, and I did my math correctly, she's only about 21 years of age here. I think we're safe to assume she's at least in her 20s. And don't you think at her age there's going to be some fear when she appears before the king? I think so. I mean, just knowing humanity. And, and I mean, look, you've got to consider this man hasn't bothered to call upon her in 30 days. And he's got an army of concubines in the harem he can call on. He doesn't need her, if you know what I mean. He can have any woman in the empire he wants. He's already been doing that. But she's planning on pressing on anyhow. And so you've got to appreciate her courage. She's not allowing fear to immobilize her. But she's going to put her life at risk for her people. Paul wrote in Romans 5-7, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, 
Yet, peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. And yet, here's Esther, willing to die for her people. The majority of which she doesn't know. And I'm sure there was a lot of scoundrels in there, a lot of people who weren't good or righteous. John 15, 13 tells us, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And so, in a sense, in maybe a limited sense, but nonetheless, I believe Esther becomes a type of Christ here. Now, Christ came to willingly lay down his life, so it is different. But in that verse in Romans 5, the next verse, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so what we see here in Esther's life is a transformation as she goes from being overcome by fear to overcoming her fear. Why? Because there's a greater cause than her own life. And and I want you to pick up on that because you, you may have some fear present in your life to an extent, but that fear needs to take a back seat to obedience to God. And, and this is what we have to understand is that our life upon this earth is for a greater cause than ourself. I, I mean, it's easy when we're young to say, I just want to get all I can out of life. But we're not here just to have all the, all the cool toys or whatever. But we are here for God's good pleasure. And we have to see the work of God greater than ourselves. A soul who needs to hear about Jesus' saving power and grace. It needs to be a greater cause than our fear of man. People are dying and going to a devil's hell. And that ought to motivate us. That cause ought to be greater than our life. Who has now been spared from his wrath to come. It needs to be greater than our own selfishness. Because here's what a lot of people are going to do come the last Friday of the month. Ladies meeting, I'm just too tired. Or what men are going to do on the first Saturday of the month, I'm just too tired. Or on Wednesday night, Sunday night, whatever, I'm just too tired. Selfish desires. We have to die to ourself. We have to die to our own ambitions. And we have to serve and love our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We don't have time to get into it tonight, but Esther doesn't go forward into this unprepared. This is not just a snap encouragement by Mordecai and a quick decision by Esther. There's going to be a three-day period of fasting. And we'll get to that next time. For tonight, are you allowing the, the, the fear of man to cripple your life for God? Is the fear of man hurting your witnessing endeavors? I'm I'm not even asking people when's the last time you led somebody to the Lord because I believe the Lord brings the harvest. And We start asking that question, we'll start getting puffed up with pride pretty quick. But I will ask you tonight, when's the last time you witnessed to somebody? 
Are you allowing fear to hold you back from the greater cause God has called you to? Please remember this fear is not coming from God. And I hope you can see the need because our eyes affect our heart. So give yourself to God and allow Him to use your life as He sees fit. Let's pray.